to your seats, take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Hope you're enjoying this series on 1 John. Thanks. <laughs> Derek, I appreciate it, buddy. 1 John, 1 John 5, verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God came... So we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. And we are living in the truth itself. In God's Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus is both true God and real life. Dear children, be on guard against all clever facsimiles. We've seen over these past weeks that this is really what matters. Relationship with God. Walking with God, who is the real God, true God, and real life. John has begun, after about a chapter, John starts repeating himself, and he does it in a way in which he emphasizes different characteristics of this relationship with God, this love of God, and he is in the process right now of kind of bringing it all back together again and stating it in a way that is critical to who we are and what he desires for us in the future. And I, I'm, I'm approaching this passage with a little bit of um, anticipation, but at the same time praying that the Spirit of God would minister life to us this morning. This is an incredibly, incredibly important passage, and it's incredibly, if we get it, If we get it, it has the potential to keep us from repeating our worst mistakes. We seem to make the same mistakes over and over again, some worse than the others. Uh, We do this corporately, we do this individually, and if we get a hold of this passage this morning, I think it'll help us, keep us from making those kind of mistakes over and over again. One of the reasons we don't have business meetings as a church, we have a family meeting at the beginning of the year, is because as a child growing up in the Baptist church, I I was exposed to some of the most horrible experiences in church business meetings that you can be a part of. Uh, It's a wonder any of us from that age ever continued to love the church and move forward. Uh, Tom Rayner this past week listed in his blog Uh, 25 of the silliest things church members fight over. If you don't go to church and this is your first time in a church, then these will still seem a little funny. But if you've been raised in the church, you'll get it. You'll get it. So these are actual things that churches have fought over. Um, Here's here's these these are some of my favorites. An argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Now to me, I I don't know about you, but that definitely talks about the philosophy and the future of the church, doesn't it? Playground, cemetery, playground, cemetery. A church dispute, ladies, you'll love this one, a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. Y'all don't have those? In, in, <laughs> a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. A fight. I love this one. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. 
Oh, that's not what Jesus looked like. No, this is Jesus. This is a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. I guess wine never came up in the discussion at all in the Baptist church. <laughs> Cheryl, you'll love this one. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. I, I did find out just this week that they have a gluten-free line at the Catholic Church, if you were wondering. Uh, gluten-free over here uh, for the communion bread. Uh, business meeting arguments over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. I could answer that one quick. An argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Uh, this, this Wednesday night, we have um, the Fullness Thanksgiving Feast. I want a lot of those deviled eggs. I love deviled eggs. And if you're at the back of the line, you don't even get the deviled eggs. They're gone here. I don't know what that says about us. We are free. A disagreement over whether the term potluck instead of pot blessing should be used. You know, we don't believe in luck, only blessing. Uh, a pot, yet. <laughs> Thank you to our legislator for bringing that up. An argument over whether the fake dusty plant should be removed from the podium. <laughs> Just as a side point, if you want those thrown away, call Chris Kuhn. Uh, he, he tossed the ones from here. Uh, years ago when he was finally got tired of it. And finally, an argument over whether to boycott the Starbucks because of their offensive red cups. No, I just, I made that one up. So, excuse me. So, because, you know, nothing says Christmas like reindeer and snowflakes and Christmas trees that were on them in the past years. Anyway, we make terrible mistakes in the church. We lose sight of what it is, and if we really understand this passage, we will, it'll help us stay focused. The, um, the truth of today's message has the potential to reorient your life, your family, your marriage, your relationships, so that all of the above, instead of being, now listen to this, instead of being selfish, taking, negative, dying, hoarding, fearful-oriented relationships, can be giving, loving life-giving, fruitful relationships. The truth of the message will go even further. It has the potential to produce in you ultimate satisfaction and indescribable joy in this life. Not just the hope for the future, but in this life. The truth of the message will conclude with how you know that you have it. How do you know that you have this? John gives us here in this passage something that works like an indicator light in your car to help you make sure that you are, as we've talked about last week, staying on track. Now, that's a fairly large buildup, don't you think, to the importance of this message? But I do not believe I'm underselling what John is stating in this passage. And so I'm going to look at 1 John 4, 7 through 21. I generally like to read the passage and then go back and dissect it. But today I'm just going to jump right into the points uh, because I know you see that um, 
They're five, so we've got to move, but they are, they're really good. So, the first is this, the power of love. The power of love. Verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, I'm in 1 John 4, verses 7. I'm going to go through 21, but here's verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is God is love. Just recently, there was a big celebration over the movie Back to the Future. Those of you who... Um, are from the 80s child, children of the 80s. You might remember Back to the Future, Back to the Future 1. Marty McFly goes back in time, and he's got to go back to the future, hence the name, for those of you who haven't seen the movie. Back to the Future goes back in time. Then in movie 2, he goes to the future in his time-traveling DeLorean. Uh, You've know, never seen the movie. Probably. The celebration over the movie was the date that he traveled to in the future was October 26, 2015. So they were comparing things that the movie said might happen in the future versus what actually happened. And, and you may remember that there was a, um, the, the, the theme song to the movie... <laughs> There, let it go. Be free, buddy. in the news from the middle ladies that's the power of love i still love that song that's a great running song by the way they're talking about obviously the power of the love between a man and a woman but it's interesting that uh, he talks about the power of this love it just might save your life that's the power really of the love of god in our lives it has the power to transform us the power to change us. Where does this love come from? Dear friends, let us love one another for love, what? Comes from God. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. Love comes from God because God is love. The Bible's always doing this sort of thing, by the way, where it tells us who we are, and then tells us how we should act because of who we are. He doesn't say, he doesn't know anything about the do this and you'll then become. The Bible constantly says, this is who you are, now act like it. We are the people who know God. God's love as it work within us. We are a people who have been born of God. God's done something to us and in us. He's made us new. He's put new life in us that makes us his children. We're the children of God. We've been born of God. And not only that, but we know him. Now, this can sound pretty common. Oh, yeah, I know about God. I know about God. I know that. But this is a relational knowing. He is our Father, and it's implied here. 
may have an objection here saying, now wait a minute, are you telling me that only Christians love? Only Christians love? I want to be careful with this kind of aspect, but there's a, there is a radical nature to the love that God is calling for us versus what we many times talk about when we talk about love. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives us a picture of this radical love when he says in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only, uh, excuse me, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing? more than others. Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. What's the, what's the call on our lives? Be perfect. Oh, is that all? Be perfect as your heavenly Father's love like God loves. Listen, there's a difference in the call. He's, he's not saying only Christians love, but only Christ, you can only love. This kind of love, if you're born of God and God is in you. you got no hope of loving like this. Loving your enemies? Loving those who hate you? I mean, it's easy to love those who love you, he's saying. Everybody does that. Everybody is into this relational love where I'm getting love in return. This radical call to love, this agape love, this power to really love only comes from God. So, the power of love, because we're born of God and we know God. Then he gives us a pattern of love in verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. These verses answer the question, okay then, how do I get this love? How do I give love? What does this love look like? What does the love look like? He says, God manifests his love in many ways. But here John says Jesus is the ultimate, full, complete expression of love that God has given us. We receive love because God loved us and did what? Sent his son to die for us so that we could receive love. And it's not only that that we receive love by Jesus, but Jesus is also the pattern of how we are to love. Do you understand? So the power of love is that Christ came. We're born of God. We know God. The pattern is the one who came to give us love because God is love. And he gives us the pattern right here. I think he says he showed his love. He showed his love. Love has to be demonstrated. Love has to be manifest. Love is just not merely an internal feeling. Love has to be displayed. 
He says love is through Christ. He sent his son. It's because of what he did. Then he says this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Love is first and foremost. So so the pattern that we see is love's got to be displayed. Love is ultimately through Christ. It gives us the power to love. Love is first and can stand alone. And finally, love is redemptive. It's not selfish. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is the pattern that God's love is calling us to. Most of our patterns are a little askew, if we think about it. They're not really on track. Uh, there's a different way that the world we see that love, love gives, but love gives in order to get. Love doesn't give in order to say, I want you to receive love so that you can know this God, so that your life can be full, your life can be complete. Listen, we're so, it's honestly, I, I know my own heart. It is hard. It is hard to love people who are not easy to love. Because one thing, it's just hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It's messy. It's not really clean. And at the same time, you're not going to get anything back out of it. I mean, really, you're not going to receive any, anything that's going to do much for you. But that's not the kind of love we're called to. We're called to a love that gives, a love that redeems, a love that sees the best in others and calls out from them God's purpose and destiny in their lives. The message says this about verse 11. He says, my dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. That's the pattern that God, we are to love, which leads to the third point, which is this, the potential of love. The potential of love, which is in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. People, I got to tell you, this is an astounding verse. This is an astounding verse. There's no way around it. We know that there is nothing incomplete about the love of God, correct? I mean, from a theological standpoint, God's love is perfect. God's love is complete. God's love is therefore in us, so the perfect love of God is within us. How are we made complete then in our love? By loving one another. The potential of love, which kind of backdoors things, is this. It, it, it sees the redemption of others. We love others, but in the process of loving others, God's love is made complete in us. It's mind-boggling. It's completed. Think about this. If we don't love one another, then we have an incomplete love. You're saying, Bart, wait a minute, you're saying that now i got to do something, which you just said, I don't got to do anything. 
No, I'm saying that God has done it all in you, but if you want to see it completed, the links of the chain closed down, then do who you are. Do what you are, which is love others, so that the chain is closed. Great book by a guy named Mark Batterson. It's a book called Primal. It's a little older. It's a great book, though. Mark Mark Batterson. Mark, I don't really know the guy, but he's a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C., He talks about, uh, I like music and sports, but he talks about going to a symphony concert at the National Symphony, and he just kind of endures it. He's really into sports, not classical music. So he just kind of endures it, and at the end, though, the guy sitting right next to him is crying and yelling bravo and just turns him, wasn't that the greatest thing ever? And he realizes at that moment that the old adage that beauty is in the eye of the beholder is really true. But in his book, he has this statement. I don't have it on the screen, but this statement is very true, I think, about this potential of love in our lives. Here's the statement. He says, the emotions we experience don't reflect external reality. They reflect internal reality. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Is that not great? It's not that we're... The external reality isn't what really is real. We've said this over and over again. We think this is real because we can touch, taste, feel, sense that things around us. But what is really real is what is eternal. What really matters is God's power at work within us. And when we love others, then love is made complete in us. Their destiny is called out in the Lord, and our destiny is fulfilled in him. I'm going to go on. Fourth point, because this is really, really a good one. Not like they aren't all, but this one. The peace of love. The peace of love. Verses 13 through 18, a very critical verse. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God... And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. All of this, again, just review. He's talking about Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When we confess Jesus Christ as both uh, man, God, redemptive, the Savior, the Lord of our lives, then his love, God's love, lives in us. And we have to rely on this love of God. Then he goes on and says, God is love. Whoever, in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I gotta, I, I, there's no way I can possibly unravel all the 
intricacies of the, these verses, but I want to aim for a certain direction. Maybe next spring I'll come back to it and do a series just on this, these series of verses. But do you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? Anybody who's, I mean, is there not a date where we can all remember what was going on? I mean, for those of us who are old enough to remember, it's unbelievable to me that some people in this weren't even old enough to really remember that date. It's getting to that point. I was driving to Atlanta to pick up my brother who was on a plane. He was flying from Fort Lauderdale to Atlanta. I was going to the annual pastor's prayer meetings that I've been a part of for some time. We're going up to the mountains of Tennessee. So he's actually in the air. I was doing what I usually do when I drive early in the morning. I was listening to Rick and Bubba, and I was driving down uh, the interstate. I just finished a men's Bible study, book study with some guys, and was driving down, uh, driving out when all of it unfolded. And of course, I'm panicking because my brother is flying. For a short period of time, after that event, things changed. People went to church. They're looking for some answers. Their, their lives were disrupted. Because, you know, that's, that's really the goal of terror. Terrorism is to um, disrupt, to cause fear, to put people in a panic, to attack soft targets. Uh, our hearts, our prayers go out to Paris this morning. Uh, I mean, we think things get better, and then they get worse, better or worse. And our hearts go out. We'll pray for Paris the people of Paris here in just a moment, that the, the, the gospel, the good news would shine in that place. But um, it's the whole goal of terrorism is to cause fear. And then the question comes up, well, how in the midst of this do I have peace? Do I fight off fear and do I have peace? And John says, in order to know the peace of God, then we have to know the love of God that fear is overcome by love. Love pushes out fear. You know, we think confidence pushes out fear. We, we, I mean, really, if you think about it, hey, don't be afraid because you're well prepared. You got nothing to be afraid of. Or, you know, we use statements like this. If you just want it bad enough, then you fear will be... John is saying this, the love of God, which is placed in us by the person of Jesus Christ pushes out fear. Let, let me ask you this. What do you think God wants from you? I mean, really, what does God want from you? Well, if you've been in church very long, then you'll, you'll know some right answers. Um, but for instance, you might say, well, what God wants is faith. God wants faith. Without faith, it's impossible to to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he de desires faith, and that's true. But how do you know you've received faith and are walking in faith? How do you know you really believe in God? Because really, anyone can say, I believe in God. But how do you know if you really, that faith is at work within you? You could say that the absence of anxiety and the absence of love 
indicate a distance from God, and, and you, you'd be right there too. But John, he, he gives a different answer. John says that it's the presence of love working its way out of our lives, touching the lives of others that God really desires to see in us. In Galatians, Paul gives a great summary, I think. In Galatians, he says this, For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Listen, I I think you could frame those circumcision, uncircumcision. Basically, he's saying rituals, they, they have some value, but they don't really matter in the long term. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You can't separate those. You can't say, I have faith and don't have love. Because the faith that God has instilled in you works its way out in you through, through love. So he's saying here that what you know and who you know takes expression in love in your life. He's a person and you know him. And then in verse 16 he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We're saved. God lives in us. So, what, what do we have to fear? What, what is fear based on, he says? Fear is based on judgment. Fear is based on discipline. But if we love God and he loves us and his powers at work within us, we have nothing to fear. We no longer fear. We rely on God. Let me back up and run over this again. I'm not talking about with my car like it's dead, but run over, kind of keep moving in this direction because this is really important. He takes the gospel to say that on the day of judgment, you have nothing to fear. And I would say this is pretty big, right? What does he mean on the day of judgment? Well, he means that I'm going to heaven and not hell. That's good news. That I'm going to heaven and not hell, right? Amen? Derek, wake back up. Give me an amen back there. All right, thank you. I mean, that's good news. But John's and here is really important. John's and says this. Now, it's not just about the judgment of the future that you have to not worry about. But if you abide in love, God's love is made complete in you. And it's not the torment of hell that's not in your future. It's the hell of not loving in the present that's driven from you as well. He takes the day of judgment, something far off, and says, you've received that blessing even today because God loves you. And you get the opportunity to demonstrate that love to others. It applies to your life. Fifth and final point. Did, do you get that? How, do we, how is fear cast out? By faith, working itself in us, in love. And by the way, here, here again, what, do you, what can you do? You receive it. It's a gift of God. It's the gift of grace. You are now in faith, in relationship with him. His presence is at work within you. Now, act according to who you are. And as you do, it'll be made complete in you. 
Fifth, finally, the proof of love. The proof of love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. How do you know that you've got it? How do you know that you've received faith and love? The proof of it is your love in others. Wait, wait a minute, Bart. Are you saying if I don't love others, I haven't got it? I mean, that's what he's saying, isn't it? If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're what? I wonder how long John would last in a modern 20th century American church. I mean, really. We just don't want to be this blunt. We don't want to be this kind of divisive. I've got to tell you, people, I, I think the church is coming to a place where this dancing around the truth of God has got to stop. I mean, really, at some point we have to say, look, if you're not loving God, you know, we're really concerned with a lot of other sins, aren't we? We're concerned with a lot of other activities that we see. But if we've got to say this. Look, if you say you love God but don't love each other, you're, you're a liar. Now, this should be good news in the sense to say, look, I want my relationship with God to be right. I've got, got to go. He, John is not saying this. Look, love each other so that you can receive the love of God. Remember this. He's saying if you don't love people, then your love of God is not there. You need to back it up. And say, and work on your love relationship with God. And the natural outgrowth of that will be, I love others. Do you understand the difference? In other words, if I guilt you today into going and loving people, at some point, if your love relationship with God and the faith of God is not at work within you, that's going to burn itself out. You'll be good for a little while, honestly. I, I've got enough skill that I could guilt you into almost, you know, not anything, but I could guilt you into a lot of things. But it's not going to bear long-term fruit. My desire for your life is that your relationship with God is right so that we do what God commands us. Not because we're worried, but because we love him. The proof of our relationship and our love relationship with God is if we're loving one another. In turn, if we're not loving one another, we need to back up and say, God, what is creating me a clean heart, O oh God? Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Then will I. He says, teach transgressors. Then, but then he's basically saying, then I'm going to love others. Then I move out in faith and power and might. Francis Schaeffer, from a book in 1970s, it's not a very long book, but it's called uh, The Mark of a Christian. He talks about this, this love. He says, we have conferences about almost everything else. 
Who has ever heard of a conference to consider how true Christians can exhibit in practice a fidelity to the holiness of God and yet simultaneously exhibit in practice a fidelity to the love of God before a watching world? Who ever heard of sermons or writings which carefully present the practice of two principles which at the first time seem to work against each other? One, the principle of the practice of the purity of the visible church in regard to doctrine and life. And two, the principle of the practice of an observable love and oneness among all true Christians. Do you get the point? We either, we either emphasize too much holiness, purity, you've got to live this right life. Or, almost fell off the stage, we exhibit, we exhibit too much the, the, the love of God without calling people to personal holiness. How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to exhibit purity, holiness, love, grace, lack of fear? I, I believe it's right here. If you just say, I, I, I'm praying, I am praying that you go and just meditate over this passage and let it permeate your life in the days ahead. John says we can do this. Why? Because we have the power of the love of God at work in our lives. Who's also, that power, Jesus, is also the pattern. He's shown us how to do this. Jesus is considered one of the most loving, even in secular circles, figures ever to have lived. And yet, he was perfect in holiness and purity. He, could, he demonstrated for us the pattern of how we're to live this life by the power of the Spirit at work within us, follow God, live a pure life, love others. By living out this love, it has the potential to perfect in us what he desires. It casts out fear so that we can live in peace. We don't have to worry about judgment. We don't have to worry about what people think about us. We don't have to worry because fear is gone in the sense of there's, there's no fear of retribution or punishment. And the proof is found when we love one another. So let me ask you the question. How is, how is your love life? How's your love life with God? You're not sure? Maybe check it out check out how you're doing in relating to loving others. If it's the litmus test of our love for God, then if something's wrong here, something's wrong here. I think it's time we truthfully examined where we are. If we're going to radically change the culture it's not going to be by standing on street corners, holding up signs, telling people they're going to hell. It's going to be because we love with a crazy kind of love that just reaches out and touches and says the power of God is at work within me. And the only way to do that is by loving God more completely. Let me pray for us. Lord, let your love be at work within us today. Your perfect love casts out fear. 
Your love has power to change us. Your power to demonstrate and to tell a world around us that you are real, that we're your followers. Lord, I pray this morning, the Spirit of God move among us. I pray against guilt and condemnation and I pray against all the junk that the devil would accuse us of right now. But instead, Lord, I pray that we would, by looking at our love life with others, we would reflect on how we're doing in our love with you. Oh, God, I ask you, Spirit of God, search me and know me. Show me who I am. Show me where I'm faulted. Show me where I'm not dependent on you. Show me where I'm self-centered. Show me where things need to change. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us here today. Lord, I I pray that this message be not just for this moment, but for the days ahead, for the future ahead, that, Spirit of God, you would speak to us in the days ahead as we meditate on this passage about the power of the love of God. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. If um, you would like to talk to someone about this love of Christ that we've been talking about, maybe you're here this morning and you know about Christ, you know about some truth.